We are going to jump in with a little bit of time that I have left, a very little bit of time on my clock. I see that on the front row. And a uh, very little bit of time. I'm finishing the series, The Blessed Life. If you did not get a book, uh, we got a few more, a dozen or so, 10 or so books uh, that are absolutely free. So if you did not get a book, uh, we have those at Connect Center uh, there. Uh, as you leave, you can pick up a free copy um, to, to get that book. And so uh, Gateway Church with Robert Morris was a blessing to us and gave them, gave them to us at such a discount and that we were able to be a blessing to, to all of you. And so we gave away the ones that we had initially and we got another batch to give those away. So uh, make sure you get that. Luke chapter 9 is where we're going to be. I'm finishing up the series. I am trying to stay within the confines of what I'm supposed to share based on uh, what we were trying to communicate throughout this Blessed Life series. Next week, I haven't preached in a while, so I'm going to try to stay uh, constrained today. But next week, uh, I don't know. I got, I got no promises. Um, I might be off the rails next week because it's been so long since I preached. And who knows what's going to happen next week. I'll just give you that warning right now. And so, um, but, uh, but today, Luke chapter 9 in verse 10, we get a very common story. A story I was trying to find, like, I'm like, I'm pretty sure this story is like so common that like I've heard this story like referenced at least in like secular television or movies, but like I wasn't sure where and I wasn't finding it. Every Google search search I did just gave me The Chosen. Like, <laughs> I couldn't get anything but The Chosen TV show, and so I couldn't find what I was looking for. But, uh, but we're going to just read through this story, and then I'm going to share a couple of principles that I think are really important for us to gather in this uh, concept and idea of a blessed life in our generosity. And so in Luke chapter 9, verse 10, it says, when the apostles returned, they told Jesus everything they had done. When he slipped quietly away with them toward the town of Bethsaida, but the crowds found out where he was going, and they followed him. He welcomed them and taught them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who were sick. Amen. Late in the afternoon, the twelve disciples came to him and said, Send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms, so they can find food and lodging for the night. There is nothing to eat here in this remote place. But Jesus said, you feed them. That's one of my favorite lines. We, we, we tend to, God, we, we get an idea, we think it's a good idea even, and we go to God, and God's like, why are you looking to somebody else to take care of what I put on your heart? You feed them. And so, uh, continuing on, but we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. They answered, or are you expecting us to go and buy enough food for this whole crowd? For there were about 5,000 men there, just the men. So you count, uh, count all the families, the wives and children. Jesus replied, tell them to sit down in groups of about 50 each. So the people all sat down. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, looked up toward heaven. I'm going to just take a little rabbit trail here. I remember I had a rebellious phase of like just rebelling. Anything I felt was religious. And so everybody, you know, always bow your heads, close your eyes. And, uh, and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to start looking up and keeping my eyes open. That's just what I'm going to do. Prayer time, that's what I'm doing. I'm rebelling my own way. And, uh, and then one day I kind of came across this. I said, oh, see, I was justified in my rebelling. There you go. Jesus, he took the five loaves. He looked up to heaven and he blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and the fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted and afterwards the disciples 
picked up the 12 baskets of leftovers. Say leftovers. I love the idea that there's leftovers, but I don't want to get ahead of myself because that's the end of the story. We kind of need to go back to the beginning of the story. This is one of the few stories that you do find in all the gospels. You can find it in Matthew chapter 14 if you're taking notes and you want to know these. Mark chapter 6 and John chapter 6. But John chapter 6 has the one point that I think is interesting that we always like to joke about, but actually, actually is not found in the Luke story. And John's version of this story is the only one that actually includes a little boy where the lunch came from. I found that interesting. I don't know if everybody else, like maybe the boy was robbed. We've joked about the boy being robbed, but maybe the fact that three of these guys left it out of their story, maybe like, let's just not touch where the food came from. We're just going to just, just skip past that. And, and, uh, and all of a sudden, but we got one guy, John didn't get the memo and the email. And all of a sudden he's like including it in his story. He's like, Oh, I wasn't supposed to do that? Like, he's including it. So, I, But I, I love this concept of this young boy and, and of being the source of this. You know, we call this Jesus feeds the 5,000, but I don't know. What about the faith of the young boy? Because what about this young man who would be so willing to give up what he possessed, what he owned, what he had, to be able to give such faith in Jesus that there's going to be something fruitful to come out of this? A young boy in the midst of thousands and thousands and thousands of people to see what little bit he had and think, I can make a difference. What faith of a young, you know, Jesus talked about, let the children come to me because if you don't have faith as this child, then how are you going to receive the kingdom of heaven in this situation? Faith as a child. And what we see is a young boy who's got a faith that is often overlooked in this situation who says, I have little, but yet somehow I believe that through Jesus, this can make a difference. I believe this is the power of our generosity and the power of our giving and that no little amount should be overlooked. No little amount of devotion, no little amount of love, no little amount of Bible reading, of prayer, that no small amount is too small for Jesus to do what doesn't make sense. But that's also part of the problem is we often need to do things that don't make sense. Generosity, when we really think about it, doesn't make sense. Now, let's not think of generosity like tipping the waitress at the restaurant after church on Sunday. Now, if I can be honest, I struggle with my generosity sometimes because I want to be practical and logical sometimes in my giving. And uh, so I have a rule. If I'm out to eat with my wife, I love doing this. Her and I got to have kind of mini date and we went kind of shopping and went to a store and, and then we went to dinner afterwards and, and we're there at the restaurant. And, and so like one of my rules is because is sometimes I want to get in, in, into that logical mindset and, and be here and not here. So like I find to give my card and pay the bill. And then when the ticket comes back to write the, 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 uh, the tip, I slide it over to my wife. <laughs> I'm like, I know this power doesn't need to be within me, not because I'm stingy, but because I tend to be in my head too much. And so I need to pass this on to my wife, who's got a heart of generosity in a way that so just kind of goes beyond my practical, logical thinking. And what I see here with the disciples is this practical, logical thinking. The disciples are like, there's so many people here that like, we don't have a solution for this. We just need to send them away to go take care of this. And 
And that's not a problem. Like they're, they're rational in the situation. What else are you going to do when you don't have any food? You're hungry yourself, right? Like some people want to pick on Peter, which we always pick on Peter. We always want to give Peter a hard time, the, the hothead, you know, for all the different various reasons. But I mean, come on, what if Peter's just hungry right now? He's not hungry, he's hangry. You know what that means when you get hungry, you become angry, and you just combine the two. I feel for Peter a little bit in this situation. He's like, I've been here all day. Jesus has been preaching and preaching and preaching. Like, it's one of those services, and I won't say who, who the speaker is, but like, it, I thought we were getting out before lunch, and they're still going. <laughs> Miss Emily talking about just waiting for people to arrive. I'm like, oh, Jesus, you'd have to help me. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. We'd have to start service at 8 a.m. if we're going to wait two hours to start. I don't know. But, but I mean, I'd maybe take some of that worship, but anyway, it's a whole thing. I'm getting, I'm getting rabbit trailed here. <laughs> Peter, I'm like, I'm, I'm with you because they're just in this process of, of what makes sense. Like, we're just trying to solve this logically. But let's be real. When I look at my life, so many times the things when God was calling me to be generous and calling me to do something, it has to go beyond myself because if it's within myself, then it might as well be the world's ideas and not God's ideas. If his ways are going to be higher and greater than mine, and what he's calling me to is greater than who I am in this moment because he's trying to grow me beyond myself, then I must be looking for an idea and a concept that is beyond the practical and the logical. I must look for the idea that stretches, the, that like, but five loaves and two, okay, so maybe, maybe, maybe 50 of y'all, but, but 15,000 of y'all, whoa, I don't know how we handle that. I think this is something to wrestle with and, and really what I wanted to convey, and this isn't even one of my two points, but really what I wanted to convey in this moment is, is sometimes what we might have a thought that comes to us that seems so radical that we can be like, Peter, just find another way. Oh, let's send them away. Okay, that, that won't work for you, Jesus. Do you have enough food? Jesus, you, we, we, can get, we can get a coin from a fish's mouth. Can we somehow get money to multiply in this situation? Can we somehow get enough money to buy? Even if you could buy enough food, do you think the restaurant's going to handle 15,000 people? Like, like, I don't know in this situation. I don't think there is any logical or practical situation. But sometimes in our lives, we continue to look for those solutions that make sense when we have an idea that doesn't make sense. And sometimes... We need to work to get out of our headspace into our heart space and make that shift and make that change. And maybe it's the question of God. I, I see the vision you're giving me. I hear how you're leading me in this and I can't see the solution. The solution doesn't make sense. How can we handle, what can we do in this situation? I believe there are two principles that, that we are to touch on in this situation. And, and I love here, and we see Jesus, that's the one I joked about here. Um, let me find my place. And it says uh, in verse 16, Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, and he looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Principle number one, the principle of multiplication, by the way, is the title that I missed earlier. If you are taking notes, the principle of multiplication. So the principle number one is... For it to multiply, it must be blessed before it can multiply. It must be blessed before it can multiply. 
I was even feeling a little challenged in this as, as a pastor. I was like, you know, even, even tipping at the restaurant where we're trying to bless the person's given wonderful service. And, and by the way, man, I don't know, my servers, my, my, my servers have been on fire lately, giving awesome service wherever I've been with whoever I've been with. And it's been awesome. And, but you know, it becomes, even in situations like that, it can be really easy to just give and just be done and not even think about it. But your intent or your desire is to bless them for the work that they provided you. What if we were to take a moment and pray over that, to bless that? Maybe you don't have to be like feeling like, well, I'm going to be the weirdo, like all of a sudden like praying. Everybody, can everybody just raise, you know, just do this. Bow your heads, close your eyes. I just want to bless this offering to the, the, like, no, no, no. But like, what if even after leaving, we could just be like, Lord, man, that money that you provided me to be able to bless that person, man, may that be blessed in their hands. May they recognize where that money really came from, that it didn't come from me. It didn't come from their job. It came from you, Lord. Like, what does that look like for us to kind of even change some of our mindset? Because I am concerned because so often, sometimes our mindset of the world tends to find its way into the church. You know, the tipping culture, which is, you know, we know is on heightened alert in the, in the world. And, and we walk into church and it's like, well, isn't that why you do tipping or offering at the end of service. You know, if the pastor does a good job, then I'll give some offering. We tip the pastor. Like, we find some ways and we start to blur these lines and we do these things. But, but even in our giving, we are looking for God to multiply what we give here because we believe we're returning back to him what is already his in this situation. And if we're giving back to the heavenly father, the one who created, the one who provided, the one who gave and blessed us, then surely the God of all the universe can do far more than what we can do in our own efforts. And it must be blessed before it can multiply. It is why we pray over the offering towards the end of service and we want to bless that offering. I need to, I'm going to hurry and try to finish this. And, and, uh, and I, could, I could go on and on about this and, and, um, and, and there's just so much more, but I, I love this. But number two, the principle, the second principle is it must be given before it can multiply. It must be given. And we see this here. Jesus, um, he, he takes it and, and um, I was finding my, my place here. And, and anyway, he gives the bread. He, he said he gives to them and they give to the people. And there's this, this process of, of giving away. It must be given so it can multiply. I love this. God can do anything through you as long as there's something from you. But so often we kind of find ourselves in these ways, these situations of overwhelming concept idea. You, you, the tithe, the 10% or offering above that. Like, but but I, I, I can't quite understand. I'm like Peter or the disciples in this situation. It's not making sense practically or logically. And what we're looking to do is to, to, for it to go out and be a blessing. And, but it must be given before it can multiply. It must leave our hands. As long as it's within our power, it's limited by our ability. But as long as we can then put it in God's hands, it's expanded by his potential of who he is. And with God, there's nothing that's too small or, or too little in these situations to be able to multiply these things. But it must be given so it can multiply. I wrestled with this, by the way, I, I wanted to share so many stories and I, I, I struggle sharing with so many of these stories. I remember 
Years ago, I went to a cash-only form of living life, uh, and not because I went through Dave Ramsey's course and and, uh, financial freedom and all those kinds of things, but my life had gotten so upside down financially that I had no choice but to go cash. And, uh, and I'm just kind of, we're just figuring out this church thing and this Christian life and, and, uh, and we're trying to survive life with our two little ones and, and got in this situation and we went cash only. And I, I, I started to love this concept because one, it allowed me to give in such a way that I could be generous without people knowing it was even me, especially as the preacher's kid, <laughs> the preacher's kid who didn't always live the, the preacher's life, you know what I mean? And, and, uh, and, but I could come into this situation and be able to give in such ways or, you know, be in those situations where it's like, oh yeah, I feel, I feel the Lord's calling me to give $67, but all I got is a hundred dollar bill. What am I going to do? <laughs> am I, I going to disobey the Lord or am I just going to be generous and give above what I expected or what I wanted to give and, and being cash only in so many ways that I, I struggle with so many of those stories and, and I still struggle even in this moment, but, but just times, even times when I remember when Beck and I went on our first mission trip, short-term mission trip to Peru. And, and getting off that trip, and it, it stretched us so much to fundraise, and, and we were able to get the money to be able to go on that mission trip and go and get our lives radically transformed. When we think that we're going to a place to have our lives trans, or to, to have our lives used to transform where we're at, instead God transformed our lives, we got off that trip and said, we can't wait to go somewhere else until next year. And we immediately went into our our funds, our emergency funds, and put down a deposit and got on the next trip over Thanksgiving going across the ocean and to be able to go and, and, and do some more things. And, and it was such a stretch for us in that moment. And it wasn't even all the funds needed, but yet just a portion that was needed to be able to help start that. It's that, that challenge of the generous life. But the third thing I want to say before I wrap it up and we go into communion is generosity is not the minimum but the more than enough generosity is not the minimum but the more than enough and we find this in the last verse of our text in verse 17 they all ate as much as they wanted and afterward the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers you know I thought about this a God of the universe, an all-knowing, and all-powerful God that could plan and prepare in all these situations. And I thought, but God, you knew exactly how many people were in this field. You know exactly how many people were being healed and ministered to, plus the disciples, plus the children, plus the spouses, plus the, the cows in the field. You knew exactly how many people were here. And yet, even in this situation, you didn't look to just meet the minimum requirement to take care of the people. You ensured that there was a leftovers. Now, part of me hopes that the leftovers went back to the young boy that three of the writers don't mention, by the way, and maybe this is, this is his blessing. It's a return on his investment to the people or the disciples are like, you know, or you know, at least Judas was hiding it probably. You know, he's stealing money. He might as well steal the food too. And, uh, and so I don't know. I don't know where the leftovers went. But a God who is so big yet doesn't just look to meet the minimum of the requirement is looking to have leftovers. I believe this is the same God in our lives that's working miracles, that's working salvation, that's working healing, that's working whatever it is in our lives. He's not looking to just meet the minimum in our lives that we worship a God who desires to have leftovers. 
We even saw this in 2 Kings chapter 4 with the prophet Elisha. 2 Kings, there's even a man who's bringing his first fruits offering to, to, the, to uh, the people. To, to, he brings it to Elisha and Elisha takes it and multiplies it to meet the needs of a hundred men in this situation. And there was leftovers. And here we are again in another situation of leftovers. It must be blessed before it can multiply. And it must be given before it can multiply. I want to encourage you today, whatever God is calling you to do, whether that's a generosity in your giving to the church, whether it's generosity in giving to an organization that you feel led to partner with outside. There's so many wonderful organizations right here in Arlington or even like Emily and Guillermo and what they're doing across the world and Abraham Matthew with India Gospel Missions and so many others that we support um, throughout the world and, and what we're a part of. Maybe it's a generosity not of your finances, it's a generosity of your grace. It's a generosity of your love. It's a generosity of your time. Serving in the church or just your time with other people to sit down and listen to their stories and minister to them and, and just be that person for them. It's that generosity. I'm here just to encourage you and what God is leading you into. How is the Holy Spirit speaking to you in this time? As we move into communion to prepare ourselves for communion, I thought about this with Jesus we're going to turn to John chapter 17, verse 1. In John chapter 17, I saw these two principles that work in the life of Jesus. And in John chapter 17, verse 1, it says, After saying all these things, here, by the way, we have it again. Jesus didn't look down and didn't close his eyes. Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life. To know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave to me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we share before the world began. I love this. We could go on and continue to read in chapter 17 here, and you can do that on your own later, but, but here what we see is Jesus is preparing to go to the cross. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's in this place of prayer, and yet he's looking to take a moment of prayer in this time of need. He's distraught. He's, he's facing this, this great challenge that is brought before him. What doesn't even make sense, the disciples even want to stop this. It doesn't make sense in their minds. This isn't practical. This isn't logical. Jesus, you're meant to bring the revolution. You're meant to bring this, this concept and this idea and bring freedom to us as people. And they so often could not move beyond the freedom they thought they needed on the external instead of the freedom that was inside them that they needed even more, that was even greater. And Jesus, he takes this moment to do what? To bless it before it can multiply. And before I read the next scripture, I do want to say if you're new with us and partaking of communion, you do not have to be a member of the Life Church. But this is a way that we acknowledge our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ, and we remember his body 
broken for us and his blood that was shed for us and a way of remembrance of putting our faith in Jesus for who he is and who he makes us to be. But principle number one, it must be blessed before it can be multiplied. And then in John chapter 19, in John chapter 19, verse 30, and just the end of the story, at the end of the cross, we're beginning in the garden and we're ending on the cross. In verse 30, when Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. And then he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. These principles of generosity is the same principles that we see, not just in the life of Jesus Christ, but in the death of Jesus Christ. And we know this to be true. We can see this even in nature of seed through God's creation in so many ways. But for the work of what Jesus Christ was doing for us, it had to be given. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And so we take moments, we take times to recognize these principles of blessing and these principles of giving and to know that they're not just enough. That even Jesus would, would resurrect from the dead three days later and, and show up to the disciples and then even more he said, as if that wasn't enough, but then to say, but there's the one even greater than me that's coming and I must leave so that he can come and be with you and I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he's not just a God of just enough. He's a God of more than enough. A God who wants to do more than enough in your life. More than enough freedom. More than enough blessing. More than enough grace. More than enough love. Why? Because it's not even just for us to receive these things. It's for us to be conduits of these principles and values of our Heavenly Father to those around us. And so maybe today, maybe even partaking in communion is just simply, that's your reminder because you're in that place of need. God, my brokenness, my sinfulness, my past. Maybe today this is a reminder to what God's calling you to do greater than yourselves, beyond yourselves. If you'll take the bread representing the body of Jesus Christ, so... Father, we say thank you. And we thank you for the blessing as we would take in this bread representing our Jesus, our Savior. May the body of Jesus transform our natural body that we take this into and glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may take and eat. And as you take the cup of juice representing the sacrificed blood of our Jesus, Father, we recognize that perfect love casts out fear, washes and cleanses us of sin in our past. So as we would take in this drink, we thank you for the replacements. The replacement, not just even of our past, but the replacement of our thoughts, the replacement of our habits, 
the replacement of the ways where we've done it of our own strength and have failed to rely on you. And we look to you in this time and we say thank you and thank you for your blessing. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, you may take and drink.